The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham. And Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, and Abiad the father of Eliakim. And Eliakim the father of Azer, and Azer the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim. And Achim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of Eliezer. And Eliezer the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob. And Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were fourteen generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, fourteen generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. This is God's holy word. This is a very weird text, um, as are all the lineages contained in Scripture. And it's weird because of the things it does. Uh, Matthew points out one of them, the fact that he can break it down into 14 generations by 14 generations by 14 generations. And that's one way of looking at it, and it's the way that Matthew points out to us. But it's not the way I'm going to preach it this morning. Because there's another way to look at lineages, and this is true of all lineages. It's to look for all the things that the lineages slow down on. Where does the lineage make a note? Because a lot of that, right, is the exact same thing. So-and-so was the father of so-and-so, and was the father, and so-and-so was the father of so-and-so, and so-and-so was the father of so-and-so. And we think because most of it is that, that there's nothing to be gained in it. Um, years ago, I, I don't quite remember when, I was introduced to this artist named Andrew Peterson. He's a musician. And Andrew Peterson has an album called Behold the Lamb of God. And it is... Far and away, my favorite Christmas album, and it is this telling of Jesus coming from the time of the very beginning to Jesus' arrival. It's the whole Old Testament in song. It's about 10 or 11 songs. And one of the final songs is called The Ballad of Matthew's Begats. And he took Matthew 1 and he put it to song. So it sounds something like this. Abraham had Isaac, Isaac he had Jacob, Jacob he had Judah and his kin. 
Then Perez and Zerah came from Judah's woman Tamar. Perez he brought Hezron up and then came. Aram, then Aminadab, then Nashan, who was then the dad of Salmon, who with Rahab fathered Boaz. Ruth, she married Boaz, who had Obed, who had Jesse. Jesse, he had David, who we know as king. David, he had Solomon by dead Uriah's wife. Solomon, well, you all know him. He had good old Rehoboam, followed by Abijah, who had Asa. Then, how does it go? I forget. It's been a while. The point, the point being, not that I can remember all of that, but that by doing that, by knowing that song, now every time I read the Old Testament, I have the lineage of Jesus in my head. And so what happens is you read a story and you go, hey, that guy, that guy's lineage of Jesus. I know that guy. Let's pay a little bit of attention here. This, this guy's listed as being who Jesus came through. Um, and so I would encourage you, if you have some time, to pick up the album, Behold the Lamb of God. Uh, listen to it. Um, it's very good. Uh, I can't think of anything more helpful during the Christmas season, to be honest with you. Um, now, I've had that in my head for 15 plus years, somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 20 years. Um, and my wife and I have been to see him in concert three-ish times. I've been to see him three other times. It's just very helpful. Um, so this morning, though, we're not going to be talking about the, the, the breakdown of the 14 generations. What I'm going to try and do for us is to show you that through this lineage, God in his kindness is saying to us and to the folks Matthew was writing to, that he is in the business of saving the worst of the worst, and to bringing good out of absolute terrible stuff. So, without further ado, we get into this, and the first pause, the first, the first slowdown in this lineage, you might expect to be Abraham, because Abraham is the father, right? Father Abraham, right? He is the man by whom we get our lineage. And yet, Matthew just passes right over the top of him. He starts out, Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, the son of David. And, and all the Jews who are listening are like, yeah, Abraham, David, those are the guys. Those are our guys. We own this. And then he just goes, Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob had Judah. This right through the patriarchs, the, the men that we think should be the spotlight. He passes right over. And then he lands on Judah and his brothers. And so again, the Israelites are thinking, Judah and his brothers, the 12 tribes, that's right, we are the special ones. We are the anointed. We are the unique among the people of God, Judah and his kin. But then Matthew does not just pass right over. He spotlights Judah. And again, they're probably thinking, well, yeah, Judah's really important. Right? Judah is the one who was going to save uh, Joseph. Judah is the one who was going to save Benjamin and gave his, said, I will give my life for Benjamin's life. Take me instead. Hundreds of years later, Judah is the faithful tribe of the southern kingdom, along with Benjamin, the brother he said he would give his life for. 
Yeah, let's talk about Judah. The lion, the tribe of Judah, the one that we know the Messiah is coming from. The scepter shall not depart from. Yeah, Judah. And then Matthew says this about Judah. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And that's a bit harder to swallow. You may not know the story of Tamar. And it is awful. It's one of the worst stories recorded for us in Scripture for a hundred reasons. It's in Genesis chapter 38. The, uh, this story begins this unbelievable message to us that God is unbelievably merciful. Because this is full of awful stuff. So first of all, you have Judah... Judah, you know, he was one of Joseph's brothers. Um, He was the one who convinced the brothers not to kill Joseph, but to throw him in a pit. Um, And then Judah gets married later on. He gets married to a Canaanite woman, right? So he marries outside the tribe, something he's not supposed to do, right? Something he he shouldn't have been doing. Um, And then he has three sons. They're all wicked, um, and the firstborn, Er, Er, marries a woman named Tamar. And he is so wicked that God kills him. God takes his wife, takes his life. That's how bad he is. He's just absolutely, utterly depraved. One of Judah's sons. Wiped out. And then, because of the way things worked back then, you had something called a kinsman redeemer. And so if, you're, if your brother died and you were not married, you would take his wife and you would have children, but they would bear your brother's name. Okay? So Onan is that brother that's supposed to do that. And the story of Onan is one of the most despicable things in Scripture, not just because of what actually happens, but what had to happen for it to be recorded. Onan marries his sister-in-law, Right after his brother's death, and refuses to impregnate her. Spills his seed on the ground. Now that's awful. But think about all the other awful things that would have had to happen that, for us to know that. Tamar would have had to tell someone that. How, how humiliating for a woman to have to tell somebody that. How humiliating for everyone that it has to be recorded so that we would know that. How despicable of a thing that happened in the lineage of Jesus. It's just absolutely awful. There's nothing good you can say about it. And because of Onan's wickedness, because he despised his brother, he despised his father, Judah, he despised his wife, Tamar, and he despised God by not doing the thing he should have done. Onan died. And then there was a third son, Shelah was the third son, and and Judah had a sneaking suspicion about his third son, which was that he was probably just as bad as his other two. And he didn't want his third son to die. And so what he did is he said, oh, 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 let's not get married right away. You know, Shelah's kind of young still. When he gets older, we'll do the marriage thing. Because it literally says... um, Verse 10 of chapter 38 in Genesis. Then Judah, or, 
Verse 11, Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, my son, grows up. Why? For he feared that he would die like his brothers. So this is, a, this is a man, Judah, who knows his sons are wicked. So you, you add to the fact that the sin of Onan is so wretched, so terrible, and so shameful, and it's just a shame. The actual, like you, can you imagine this being your family and everyone knowing the shame of your sister-in-law? Everyone. We like to keep things very neat, very tidy, very in a box. Nobody knows the family secrets. They're all over here. And God says, listen, I came. I sent my son for the unrighteous, not the righteous, not those who look clean, but for those who are actually unclean. That's who I came to save and to clean up. And just the horribleness of this. Judah, knowing that his son, his third one, was just as wicked as his other two. He has no good lineage. None. He had married a Canaanite woman and, and raised up three terrible sons. They all died. Well, two of them died. And the third one he refused to marry off. So then, Judah's wife dies. He becomes a widower. Okay. And then something happens that is just, like it just keeps getting, it just stays just as depraved as it was. So Judah had to be a man that everyone knew went to see prostitutes. Because what happens next is as soon as his wife died, his daughter-in-law, Tamar, takes off her widow's garments, puts on a prostitute's garb, goes along the street that Judah's going to be traveling on, and Judah goes into her. Now, there's only a few reasons that that could happen. One is everyone had to know that Judah was a frequenter of those kinds of establishments. This, this was not the only instance. Otherwise, why would she immediately be like, oh, this is how I can get it done. Just go do this. If, this, if Judah would have been an upright, godly man, it, it would have done her no good to do this, right? He would have passed right on by, kept walking, she could have called to him, and he would have just kept on the straight. But she knew he was a crooked man who'd raised crooked sons. And so she went, and she did this. He impregnates her. And then when he finds out she's pregnant, not knowing that it was her, he puts word out that she's going to have to be put to death because she's been an adulteress. So then she sends to him the payment that he had given to this prostitute woman, which was his uh, staff and his signet ring, or his signet cord. And he says this about her. Um, verse 26, Then Judah identified these things and said, Tamar, she is more righteous than I, since I did not give her my son Shelah, and he did not know her again. That's, that's the one. That's the story that Matthew says. Judah and his kin, Perez and Zerah, came by Judah's woman, Tamar. If you, if you don't remember how we got here, just a reminder. Judah had his daughter-in-law as a prostitute, which produced the seed that came to Christ. This is, 
this is airing some dirty laundry, right? This is not taking it easy on this lineage. Um, we don't like to squirm. Um, it makes us, you know, it makes us squirm. It's uncomfortable to talk about the uncomfortable things in our past. I had an event like this not long ago, a year or two ago. Uh, there are sins of mine that I, I, I talk about freely, and they're awful. And there are sins of mine that I don't like to talk about ever because they're this kind of thing. Like, they're just so ugly. I don't want anyone to know or think about the things that I've actually done. So a couple of years ago, one of my sisters brings up one of these things that is just a shame and a pockmark on me and on my parents. To, not because they did anything, but to my parents. It's a shame to my parents. Um, and it made everybody uncomfortable. Everybody was just like, oh, ooh, eh. maybe not, maybe not bring that up again. Um, but here we are, and Matthew brings it up again. Why? Why does he bring up the thing that makes all the Israelites in the room go, ah, you could have just, Judah, Perez, just, just, you know, Judah begat Perez, begat, and Perez begat so-and-so. You could have just done that. Why did you have to slow down? And the point being, two things. One, Judah married outside the tribe and made the line impure. And so God axed all of his sons and passed the lineage on through Tamar by Judah himself. And so a, a Jew would be thinking, all right, you brought it up to show that your, the lineage is supposed to be pure. We're not supposed to marry outside. We're supposed to keep it pure. And so you killed off all the Canaanite errors heirs and and you kept it a pure line and so that's what we do even even if it's super embarrassing and 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 terrible we tend to try and put this positive spin on things and and matthew will have absolutely none of it he'll have none of it he will not let the jews off the hook at all because the next two names that he names are canaanite women right this is the next two things he slows down on Verse four or verse five. Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Rahab was the prostitute in Jericho. She was a Canaanite woman. She was not pure. So, anyone who wanted to be like, oh yeah, what happened with Perez and Tamar? It was terrible, but it was just to keep the lineage pure. Their their final leg is kicked out from underneath them because. He names Rahab, and then he goes on, he says, and then Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. Ruth was a Shulamite. She was not an Israelite. So the next two things he pauses on kicks the other leg completely out from under, and there is no place for any Jew to stand and say, the reason God chose us is because we kept the way pure by behavior and lineage. And God just goes, no, you didn't. No, you absolutely didn't. I kept the way pure because I'm God. You did everything you possibly conceivably could to mess it up. And instead, out of all that awfulness, God preserved the line of Jesus. That is comforting. Because if we're actually honest, we have skeletons just as ugly in our closets. We have kids just as bad is Er and Onan and Shelah. We have kids who despise the word. We have parents who are just as awful as Judah. 
He would go around on, on his wife, probably, while she was living, definitely after she died. The, the wickedness was known. We act like it's unknown. Listen, it does us no good to pretend like evil doesn't exist in our camp. It does us absolutely no good. We will be of no help to one another to pretend like nothing bad ever happens here. Everyone has clean hands here. The whole purpose of the gospel is to say, I, Jesus Christ, came for the unclean and the ungodly, the sinners, right? That's what we learned First 1 Timothy. This saying is trustworthy and worthy of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Not good people, bad people, messy people, people with bad things going on for them and in their past, things that are shameful. Matthew, by God's kind hand, shows us this and says there's no room here to have pride about your lineage. There's no room here to have pride about, oh, we're where Jesus came from. We're the children of Abraham. Listen, we have the line. We have the men. The first few people he slows down on are terrible. Judah is not a good dude. And then the Canaanite women come in, right? Rahab the prostitute, Ruth the Shuamite, And then, finally, we get to David the king. And everybody finally breathes a sigh of relief that this guy who's reciting their lineage finally gets to something good. All right, Abraham and Isaac. Oh, why did you bring up Tamar? Ruth and Rahab. Okay, okay, fine. We're, we're, okay, we're, we're moving on. We're at David the king. All right. Now we have chapters and chapters of good stuff to talk about. Let's just talk about, let's just talk about the Psalms, right? He wrote a third of the Psalms. Right? He is an author of Scripture. The mighty men, the battles, David, his tens of thousands, right? The fact that he was godly and didn't kill Saul. And he, you could name a hundred things that David did that are just awesome, mighty deeds, right? The one that we all want, right? David and Goliath, let's tell the big one, right? He slew the giant and chopped off his head. Saved all of Israel, routed the... Let's tell it. So everybody's riled up again. And it's David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And everyone just kind of goes, okay, like, you already mentioned Tamar, and then you brought in the Canaanite women. And then you're going to bring in this whole Uriah business? Like, and you're not... It's, it's interesting... He, he doesn't, Matthew doesn't say Bathsheba, her name. He just says the wife of Uriah, Uriah's woman. Just the shame of it. Because what we want to remember is that, yeah, yeah, what happened was David uh, ended up marrying Bathsheba who had Solomon and it was all kind of clean. We kind of want to just remember like the happy family portrait of, you know, after the fact that Uriah was off to battle and was one of David's mighty men. He was one of David's mighty men. While he was off to battle because David was not fighting in the battle, David saw Uriah's wife on the rooftop, took her, had her, got her pregnant, 
And then, instead of just owning it then, calls the man back from war, tries to get him to go home and be with his wife so that he can cover the whole mess up. Uriah, being too godly of a man, doesn't do it. So instead of owning it up then, he orders Uriah to be put on the fiercest battle line so he'll be killed in battle. And then Uriah dies. And so now he can have Bathsheba kind of scot-free. And then it takes a prophet of God to come and rebuke David. To come and say, there was a man who, who had one sheep that he loved, that he cared for. And this, this other guy had tons of stuff. And then when the party came, this, this guy who was rich took the one lamb and slew it for the party. And David says, put that man to death. And then Nathan says, you are that man. You did that to Uriah. You stole his wife. You stole his lineage. That's the highlight, right? That's, that's the thing you're going to highlight about King David in the lineage. In this thing where we're trying to say, the Savior of the world is coming. God incarnate has arrived. Here's the stories you focus on. Tamar, the Canaanite women... And Uriah's wife. We could tell a much better story than that. And we often do. We can tell extravagantly good stories. That leave out all the pockmarks. And we often do. We tell it about ourselves. We tell it about our family. We tell it about our church. We like clean stories. The Bible is not full of clean stories. The Bible is full of people who sin, who God is merciful to. That is the story of God. So here it is. David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam. Then it goes on, and it, and it just lists them all, right? Just do, 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 do. All the way through. I mean, you could have stopped. Like, if, if the thing about this lineage and the fact that he, he mentions the people that he does is because these men, overall, were good men. Right? Judah, David, good men. Right? Judah gave himself, was willing to die for his brother Benjamin. So towards the end, he got a good heart. Right? <laughs> you could easily make the case that what... what God could have done to tell this same sort of thing was to just highlight all the really bad kings, right? And it should be easy. There's a lot of them. But he doesn't highlight the bad guys. He highlights the good guys who did bad things to show that it is not the, God, the goodness, the individual righteousness that saves. It is God who has mercy. It wasn't because David was the cream of the crop that God was merciful to him. It was just God being merciful to a man named David. And then because of God's mercy, David did extraordinary things. He could have easily, easily talked about Ahaz. What a wicked man. Manasseh did awful things. The, the reality is, you can tell this story and try and pretend like you're giving all the dirty secrets away. But really you're just telling all the things that everybody knows. Yeah, we know that guy's bad. It's, it's the same thing that we do when we talk about the bad guy, in our, the bad person in our family, the one that everyone knows is the black sheep that gets all the stuff. 
everybody already knows that, right? Everybody knows he's bad and does bad things. What about the bad stuff here? What about the sin that needs covered here? We all know that the guy smoking meth on the corner, cooking meth in his backyard, is a wicked sinner. We already know that. Does anyone know that you're a wicked sinner? Does anyone know that you deserve hell? Does anyone know that you deserve the wrath of God? And it is only, only His mercy. Does anyone know that? About you and about me. We're very good at pretending like we tell the dirty laundry and we really just skip it. So then, Matthew eases up off the accelerator, just goes right through, and then he pauses again twice on the national shame of Israel. Right? This is verse 11. Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. We don't know much about the deportation in America and Christianity. Uh, right? It was, it was the most awful thing in the history of the nation of Israel. Right? The, the slavery of the Exodus happened by accident so to speak, right? They, they moved to Goshen because of Joseph being put there to preserve them from the famine. And then years later, the Pharaoh forgot who they were and they became enslaved, right? It was not fault of their own that brought them to slavery in the, in the time of the Exodus. The deportation of Babylon was a direct consequence of their sin. God said, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to put you in a foreign land with a foreign king. And they did not straighten up. And so he put them in a foreign land with a foreign king. It's an absolute shame to the whole nation of Israel. And he mentions it twice. And we hardly know anything about it. Um, I don't know quite why. I mean, part of it is the scripture itself kind of ends after the deportation ends. Uh, the Old Testament is basically the end of the deportation of Babylon. So they come back and, and they rebuild the temple and they rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and then that's basically the end of the Old Testament. But that time of deportation is awful. Lots of bad things happen. One of them, right, in Ezekiel uh, 18, you have, let me back up a little bit, right? So in the time of the Exodus, the people sinned and all the men of fighting age and older died in the desert. And their children got the land. Okay, so nobody who exited Egypt as an adult got to go into the promised land. Save two men, right? Joshua and Caleb. All the other men who got out of Egypt died in the desert. And their children got the land. In the deportation, they got deported. And the children were mad at their parents for getting them there. And instead of repenting, they just got more and more bitter that God, that, at their parents. And so you have Ezekiel 18 is basically the people saying, we're here because of our parents' sin. We didn't do anything wrong. Why should we have to suffer in Babylon? We're good. We've got nothing to repent of. And that was basically the attitude of the Israelites while they were in deportation. They didn't repent then. They didn't learn their lesson then. And so for us here, we're at a time of 
strange goings-on in the world. COVID has disrupted a thousand things. We are living in a strange world. We are, in many ways, in Babylon before COVID, right? We have Obergefell and the legalization of homosexual marriage. We have uh, a thousand sexual sins adding up. We have a thousand other sins, national sins, just awful stuff piling up. And then COVID happens. And our response, basically, as the church in America and across the world, the West especially, has basically been, we didn't deserve this. Why is this happening to us? We shouldn't have to suffer. We didn't do anything. Why am I having to repent of anything? COVID's that thing that came from other people. We didn't, we got nothing to do with it, okay? We shouldn't have to suffer at all because of this. And God says, listen, you all have things to repent of. Be humble. Repent. Be humble and repent. This is the message of the gospel. God's judgments are meant to bring us to repentance. Every time. They're never meant to make us bitter towards God. And the deportation of Babylon was a huge judgment against the people of Israel. And they refused to repent. Their children refused to repent. So then for us. We can be bitter about where God has us. We can refuse to acknowledge the fact that we have sins that we need to repent of. We can fail to acknowledge the fact that our sin is known. We can fail to acknowledge that our church history is not clean. That there are folks and people that have come and gone. There are things we have done as a body that are not good. And yet, yet... God is merciful to us now. Because what happens at the end of all this? So Matthew gives his lineage. Everyone kind of squirms in their seats the whole time. Going, why did he, why did he bring up Tamar? Why is he bringing up Rahab? Why, why the wife of Uriah? Why, I mean, he could have said anything about King David. He says that? Does he have to talk about the deportation? Twice. But then, this... Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. That's our hope. Here's this massive lineage, and we can either spend our time being shamed from it, or spend our time praising God, that despite this, Christ came, and Christ came saves. What a majestic thing. This is, without a doubt, the most beautiful message in the scriptures. God is not overcome by our sin and our treachery. Not in the least. Not even a bit. It is no thing for him to do this for us. He looks at you and he looks at me and he says, Yep, there's your Tamar. There's your Rahab. There's your Ruth. There's your Uriah's wife. There's your deportation. Christ came. He still does it to every one of us individually and corporately. What 
an incredible time of the year to celebrate that. That the Jews were waiting and waiting and waiting for the triumph of Christ. And then he came. He came. And he saved. And he still does it. He still does the same thing. Despite all the stuff, all the things, all the sin. And so I want us to think about a few things. One, I want us to just be honest. Honest with God, honest with one another that you are not clean. That your past isn't perfect. That you don't have the key. Because otherwise, Jesus didn't come to save you. He came to save the sick. He came to save the sinner. If you're already good to go, then you have no need of a Savior. But if you know yourself to be the one who is Judah, or the one who is Tamar, or the one who is Ruth, or the one who is Rahab, or the one who is Uriah's wife, if you know you're David before he repented when Nathan called him, if you know that, then in a month when we celebrate the birth of our Savior, it's for you that he came. It's for us that he came. And that is good news. Right? That is the reason that we celebrate Christ. It's not because we think babies are cute. It's not because we think Christmas time is fun. It's not because we like fire and candles. It's because Jesus Christ came in this world to save us. Despite that whole mess behind us. Our sin and our family's sin and our church's sin. He saves us all. And that is good, good news. So let's sing this morning. We're going to sing one you may not know. But it is one of my favorite Christmas hymns. It's called, Lo, How a Rose Air Blooming. It's in your bulletin. On the back of your, of your sheet here, the pink sheet. It's called, Lo, How a Rose Air Blooming. Let me pray for us, and then we'll sing our closing hymn. Father, thank you so much for your kindness. Thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the fact that despite a thousand sins of a thousand people in the past, that your Son still came, you still preserved your line. And Father, today you do the same. Despite our sin, despite our family's sin, despite our church's sin, despite our national sins, that you still save every day. And Father, we give you praise and glory. We thank you for your good son, Jesus, and what he does for us. In Christ we pray. Amen. So this is, if you'd stand with me, this is, Lo, how a rose there blooming. It's the fact that out of the thorny thicket, right, came the Savior, Jesus Christ. And he was foretold by the prophets, and then he came. So. stem hath sprung of Jesse's lineage come 
coming as men of old have sung. It came a floweret bright amid the cold of winter when half gone was the night. Isaiah twas foretold it the May grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. Go in peace this week.
our vision uh, for the upcoming year and where we want to go, what we're going to do. So, after that, um, we will have a uh, time of decorating the church for Christmas. So, hopefully, everyone will hang around and we'll have decorations if you want to bring it to you next one. First one. So, with that, Good morning, welcome. Let's stand together. We're going to sing to open our service. And it is the first week of Advent, so we're going to sing uh, Oh Come All You Faithful, number 249. Yeah. Hey. 